Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. Changed. Good day wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio for Friday, October 31st, 2008. I guess it's Halloween, huh? Yeah. All right. Episode. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do this to me now, <laughs> Episode 101 comes to you from Studio B in beautiful Coriopolis, Pennsylvania. My name is Joe Hughes, or Radio Joe, and here with me in the studio is the Z-Man, Cliff Slotney. It's always a pleasure to work with you, Joe. Happy Halloween, Cliff. And the wingman, Chris Boisel, at the controls. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Hey, Chris. Looks like we also will have our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, on the line with us here. We'll bring him in in a little bit. Today's segments include the microband trivia question. We've got Sam Teitelbaum, president of Aller Air Industries. Should be an interesting show on uh, air purification systems and uh, products. Brian McFarland will be on at halftime of Legends Environmental Insurance Services with part two of the seven sins of buying insurance. We'll go back to Sam, and then we'll finish up with the roundup where we bring everybody back in to uh, go through some final questions. We've been working on that IAQRadio.com website, getting a blog on every week after the show. Check it out at IAQRadio.com. Before we get started, though, we've got to thank our sponsors. First, we'd like to thank Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn more about them at legends-enviro.com. Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IEQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dryease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dryease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IQ Radio when you inquire about their various products and or services. All right. To contact the show, you can call 724-444-7444. Our show ID is 1547. You press the number 1 and you join the show. Or you can go to iaqradio.com. Follow the link that says go to the show, or if you got the show announcement, you can just sign in from the show announcement. You can also check out our sponsors' websites through the links at our uh, show announcement that went out. We also have IICRC continuing education credits available or IAQ Council renewal credits available by emailing me and requesting a quiz. My email is joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. And, of course, we like to get those requests, suggestions, comments, etc., 
by emailing me or the Z-Man at cliffzlotnick at unsmoke.com. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. I'm going to turn it over to Cliff for the microband trivia question. Thanks, Joe. Congratulations to Jerry Cronin. Uh, he answered two in a row. Uh, thanks to a plaque in his kitchen, he got the question to last week's uh, trivia. Pretty ironic, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, you know, the, the answer was Saluta Asentano, often pronounced as Saluta Chindon, and that's 100 years of health in Italian. Okay, uh, the microband trivia question for Friday, October 31st, 2008. For purification purposes, adsorption on porous carbons can be historically traced back to what year? I'll repeat it. For purification purposes, adsorption on porous carbons can be historically traced back to what year? Over to you, Joe. Okay, Cliff. Let's get started with a little introduction about Mr. Sam Teitelbaum. He's the president of Aller Air Industries, and he's, that's a company that designs and manufactures air purifiers for industrial, residential, military, and medical applications. Since 1996, when Aller Air was established, Sam has been on a mission to raise awareness about the importance of clean indoor air quality while emphasizing the critical role of combination carbon HEPA air filters to remove airborne chemicals, gases, odors, and particles. His initiative for cleaner air and higher air quality, deep bed carbon air, pur air purifiers began almost two decades ago when his wife developed sensitivity to chemicals and they were unable to find a viable air purifying solution. Since then, Sam has had an integral role in the research and development of over 100 types of air purifying systems that are now providing worldwide IAQ solutions. I think we have some intro music for Sam. Let's see if we can get Sam unmuted there, wingman. All right. Good day, Sam. How do we have you on the line? I'm right here. Great. Welcome to IAQ Radio, and thanks for joining us. Uh, you're very welcome. I'm glad to be with you. Uh, what kind of, I'm curious, that we, we in the introduction talked a little bit about why you started Aller Air, and um, I'm curious, what did you do prior to starting this company? Prior to starting uh, this company, I was in the manufacturing and retail business. Uh, we manufactured our own products for about 24 stores, uh, half of which, or approximately half of which were in Canada, and the other half were in the U.S., specifically in the Philadelphia area. Uh, what I understand, you're in the Philadelphia area now, or uh, and the other half of the stores were in the Houston area. Okay. We're actually over in the Pittsburgh side of the state, but that's... Oh. Close enough. Same state, anyway. We've we got some listeners from the other side of the state. Uh, i got to give out a good, uh, how about them Phillies to my buddy Mark out in Philadelphia. He's listening in today. All right. Uh, now, I, I, 
talked to um, one of your marketing people here before the show, and they told me you also had another unusual kind of, uh, uh, I occupation. guess, occupation prior to uh, starting this. Can you tell us a quick, surefire method for getting people to laugh, Sam? Sure. <laughs> uh, I used to give seminars uh, on uh, the healing power of laughter and play. And a surefire way of getting people to laugh, uh, there's two real, real good ways. One is tell a very good joke. And that's sometimes hard because if you're in front of a group of uh, 100 people or 200 people, not everybody laughs at the same type of joke. So a better way of getting people to laugh is uh, the alternative way is to teach them how to laugh without a joke. And it's really very easy. You pretend that you're laughing, and the effect on the body is exactly the same. So when I say the healing power of laughter, it doesn't matter if it's a synthetic laugh or if it's laughter at a joke. So we can practice together. If you want to take out five seconds, you can do it with me. Start laughing. If you do that ten times a day, listen, Norman Cousins, who had a very serious collagen disease. Uh, he was an author and a journalist, very well known uh, 25 years ago. Uh, when he was, uh, contracted a very serious collagen disease, he went to the library, took out, uh, I don't know, several dozen uh, comedy uh, shows on tapes, and checked himself into a hotel, and it's actually on record. 30 days later, the doctor examined him and said, we can't find anything wrong with you. Hmm. Interesting. So, laughter works. The power of laughter. Well, let's get into indoor air quality sure. here. Okay. Cliff, why don't you go ahead and start? Okay, Sam, first question. What is activated carbon? Activated carbon is carbon that's being treated with oxygen and or steam uh, that carves out to millions or maybe billions of pores uh, through the carbon so that the, uh, that the chemicals will be absorbed into the carbon. There is uh, the, no the knowledge that one pound of carbon contains five acres of surface area. If you, uh, five, is it five acres? I'm sorry, 125 acres of surface area within the carbon. So that's an awful lot of place to absorb chemicals and gases. It's the most uh, absorbent material known to man. Um, where does it come from? Well, carbon is manufactured from several different things. And actually, anything that can be charred can be turned into carbon. But most of the carbon for air purification are made from coconut shell, from coal, from uh, wood, and even now from peat moss, although peat moss carbon is usually only available in Europe. Mm -hmm. What's the best source of uh, activated carbon? Or are there better sources than others? Well, there's no such thing as a better source. Uh, for different chemicals and different gases, you might want to use the most effective carbon for that particular uh, chemical. So there are we have in stock at probably 17 to 19 different carbons at any one time that we can use. Mm -hmm. hmm. Cliff? Sam, what's the process 
of adsorption? Well, uh, most people, when they say adsorption, they correct me, and they say absorption, and there is a difference. In absorption, you absorb the chemical or gas into the material itself. The carbon doesn't absorb anything. The chemicals and gases are adsorbed into the capillaries or the pores that are carved out by the oxygen and steam into the carbon itself. I see. And then what... On what gases is activated carbon effective? So what, you know, what types of gases is this effective against? Well, uh, we know that there are approximately 400,000 chemicals and gases that are currently being produced by industry uh, in uh, North America and in Europe, probably even worldwide. But carbon is uh, potentially effective on 4,000 and more of these chemicals and gases. And when a client calls us, uh, he tells us which chemical he believes he has a problem with. Uh, and there's a reason why he knows it in, in industry. And we try to find the best solution. If there is a solution with carbon, we'll be able to help him. Is activated carbon unique as an adsorbent? And if so, why or why not? Well, it's known as the most absorbent material, uh, and uh, by the way, it's been used since Roman times. It's not something brand new. Mm -hmm. It's only uh, in the 1910s, approximately, that it became activated, or they found a way to activate the carbon. Before that, it was just burnt material that the Romans used to purify water. <coughs> so it was used, used even as far back as then, but now, since the 1910s, or approximately thereabouts, uh, they found a way to activate it, as I mentioned before, and now it's used everywhere. In fact, hospitals use it to, uh, uh, to treat uh, children who've uh, ingested poison in it. Mm -hmm. uh, the food industry uses it to protect the food, uh, to make it last longer. People actually use it in their refrigerator to keep the, uh, the food fresher longer. Uh, the uh, chemical industry has always known about it, has known about it for quite some time, and many industries use uh, carbon to absorb chemicals that they come off their processes. <coughs> Sorry. Oh, Sam, I know you, you work with people who have uh, chemical sensitivities. Um, and I'm curious, when you get these types of calls, do you, how do you handle the fact that, you know, I guess there's source removal issues, there's maybe dilution that might help them, uh, and there may be other ways that we could help them besides, you know, air purification. Do you discuss those issues with people first before you get them an air purifier, or do you do that in combination? How do you handle that? You have to remember that uh, everyone almost has a slightly different uh, problem of their own. So especially when people call in with uh, multiple chemical sensitivities, we always ask, uh, do you know what the source of your problem is? Or is this a generalized thing and they received or contracted this somewhere else in the, in the wide world, in their own homes or in stores that they've been visiting? It's a, it's a problem that 
so wide that there are so many people and there's so so many people that are afflicted by this that uh, there are myriads of, of answers as to why they receive uh, MCM, <coughs> which stands for multiple chemical sensitivity. Until uh, at least 20 years ago, when a woman, especially a woman, went to a doctor and complained about headaches or complained about all the things we know about today are symptoms of MCS, the doctor almost always said, uh, lady, it's all in your head. Go home. There's nothing wrong with you. That was the known uh, medical answer to symptoms of MCS. And you see that changing now? Yes. Not radically. Uh, the medical profession perhaps doesn't say that anymore, uh, but they don't offer, the medical profession does not offer, uh, to my knowledge, on a widespread uh, idea uh, that they should, that people should use a uh, air purifier. It's only if you go to an environmental medical person or if you go to a consultant, then they will tell you, you know, the only way to treat the symptoms, the only way to have some relief is by getting an air purifier. And in the United States, there are approximately two, 300 doctors who advise their patients to get one of our units that I know about. And almost every week we get some people telling us, oh, doctor so-and-so told me to get one of your units. <clears throat> so there are many doctors out there that I don't know about who know about Elsusteen and do uh, advise their patients. In fact, uh, about three years ago, uh, there was a doctor, I can't remember his name now, who was doing some stem cell replacement therapy, and he advised two of his patients, instead of putting the child into a bubble after the surgery, to call us and get some of our MCS units, and the child will not have to be put into a isolation ward. Interesting. Now, Sam, I'm curious... By the way, you can hear about this on, on CNN. You can look it up, the Baby Adams case, it was called, and you can actually look it up on CNN. I was I was looking at your site, Sam, and it looks like, uh, at least in my review, most of your units are standalone units. They do not tie into the mechanical system. Is that accurate? Well, most of the units are that way, but they, we have uh, probably three to four percent of our units, maybe five percent of our units, which can be tied into the mechanical system. Uh, we believe that with source capture being the best form of removing chemicals and gases from the air. So with source capture in mind, the best way is to use standalone units. However, in some cases it's not possible, or in some cases the person prefers uh, to have it attached to the home furnace or to a business furnace, and will do that as well. I see. Cliff? Sam, do you ever use any other adsorbent such as activated alumina or anything like that? Or wh where would these other types of adsorbents be indicated? Activated alumina is actually made of aluminum powders bound together with clay. And it's very effective upon certain types of gases. And if we had a call for those gases, yes, we would use activated alumina. Mm -hmm. But they are rare, and so in 
95% of the cases we use uh, activated carbon. Would, would formaldehyde be one of the, the times where you would use the activated alumina, or would you prefer to use carbon in that application? For, for formaldehyde, we preferred using activated carbon. Okay. I All see. Right. Sam, um, I also want to make sure the listeners um, get a, a full understanding of what type of products you're you're developing there. These also include a HEPA filtration for particulate. Uh, do they all include that, or do you have different types? Almost every one of our units <coughs> has a carbon and a HEPA filter as well. Except if someone says, no, I'm only interested in getting rid of particles, then we'll give them a unit that has only HEPA, but that's rare. Most times, people understand by calling us before they call us and even after they speak with us, especially that the most important pollutant or the worst pollutant that, they're that they can suffer from is the chemical and gas part of the pollutant and not the uh, particular problem. So we always have, almost always, I'd say, have uh, chemical and gas absorbance, and sometimes only the chemical and gas absorbance, and sometimes the other way around. Now, that might sound a little confusing. Sometimes it is to myself even. But uh, when people buy a uh, purifier, especially in a retail store, uh, retail stores sell units that are made out of plastic generally, and they sell them with a lot of good HEPA filtration. And that's good because HEPA filtration will take care of the particulate problem. The plastic part of the, or the plastic housing of the unit is not a good idea <clears throat> because it really adds to the pollutant. So um, when somebody tells me they've already bought a unit and it hasn't worked for them, I ask them what name, what it has inside it, they know. Generally, it's a plastic unit with only a HEPA filter or a minimal carbon filter because a lot of uh, filtration systems in stores say they have a carbon filter, but it's of actually no consequence because the carbon filter they offer, I won't mention any names, have a one-eighth carbon filter, one-eighth inch carbon filter. Now, this is so tiny that if you hold it up to the light, you see air spaces. And car <laughs> chemicals and gases look for the place of least resistance. So they just go right through the openings, and they don't get trapped by the 1/8 or 1/16 inch carbon filters. You need something at least one inch of solid, almost solid carbon mass. You get two inches or two and a half inch. Now that's real good. And we have them up to three and a half inches. And believe it or not, in some instances, we provide a 32 inch deep bed of carbon mm -hmm. for specific needs. Well, what type of application would that be, Sam? Well, we had a client at the point when he called us. He was a potential client. Uh, he called and said that he had a problem with cumin hydroperoxide. And uh, our chemist advised me that that's one of our $32,000 units he needs. Wow. And he actually bought uh, the half of a unit to start because... When they get that big, we can actually sell half of a unit at a time. So he bought half of a unit, and it actually probably saved them from going to jail. 
Okay. I think that what I'd like you to do, if you could, is maybe clarify for our listeners some of these the following terms. You know, some air filters use what they would call a certified HEPA filter. Uh, some would use what's called a HEPA type filter. Um, you know, can you clarify the difference between a HEPA type and, you know, certified HEPA filter for us? Okay, HEPA stands for High Efficiency Particulate Arrestance, and a certified HEPA filter uh, is actually ubiquitous in the, uh, in the in this industry because when the HEPA material is manufactured, we usually get it with a certificate from the manufacturer. There's only two manufacturers in, in North America that actually produce uh, proper HEPA filtration, and it's usually comes with a certificate stating that this uh, material uh, has uh, met all the standards for HEPA. Then there is HEPA type of material, which is usually almost as good as HEPA, almost as good, and in many cases doesn't have the same effect. So if you don't have enough space in your unit uh, to put in a what's called a certified HEPA, you can put in a non-certified HEPA, something that's a HEPA type or a HEPA-like filter, and it'll do almost the same job. Mm -hmm. What type of filter do you prefer to use in your equipment, or do you use both types? We use both types. When we use uh, a general purpose or a, or a specific known uh, pollutant, we use a certified HEPA filter. Mm -hmm. However, if the customer, the client, uh, the patient, if you want to call it that, has serious problems with chemicals and gases and has no problem with particles, then what we like to do is we like to fill up the entire area possible in the unit with more carbon, mm -hmm. thereby giving him two and a half, uh, sorry, three inches or three and three quarter inches, or, or I'd say up to 32 and 34 inches of carbon we like to fill up the entire place with carbon because that's his problem. And in this case, we usually always, I say usually, we always wrap the carbon filter with a HEPA or micro HEPA uh, type of material, which serves almost the same thing as a certified HEPA. We'll do the same type of job, but we have more space to put in more carbon. I see. Sam, I've got... Uh Two questions, I guess, or then one uh, goes along with a text message we got from a listener. But um, I'm, I'm sure you're not aware of this because it's not real well known. There is a group called the Indoor Environmental Standards Organization, and they are working on what they call their FIF standard. It's for testing portable high-efficiency air uh, products, I guess, like HEPA vacuums and like the types of air cleaners that, that you produce. I know the filter is tested, um, I guess, by the manufacturer, depending on what type, as you just described. What about the unit itself with the filter in it? Do you do some type of testing with a, uh, with a particle counter on your own units? Yes, we do our own testing here on our units with a particle counter. And some people, uh, some manufacturers, uh, pride themselves that their unit Every single unit is tested with the HEPA filter inside. Now, the cost is enormous to do that. 
if a unit sells for $500, just to give you an example, and you, if you were to certify the individual HEPA filter in the unit, it would probably add three to $500 to the cost, the retail cost of the unit. So it's really highly impractical. <laughs> However, even when you test the unit uh, in, at the factory and certify that that HEPA filter is genuinely certified in the, in the unit, now you pack it up and ship it to someone. And in the shipping, <laughs> anything can happen. Yep. So you can pay for the certification, and when you get it, it's not really any more certified. Sam, if carbon's so great, why doesn't everyone use it? And if more is better, why don't others use more? Okay. Um, the, most people know about uh, HEP and carbon when they read about it in the paper or someone tells them they bought a good HEPA filtered unit. That's the way people say it. I bought a good HEPA, carbon, a good HEPA filtered unit. And they go to a store and they look at the store's array of products. In a store, the storekeeper has to be able to make money on the unit. And I don't blame them. And when people, when storekeepers handle our units, they do make money. However, you have to remember that the units weighs, can weigh anywhere between 20 and 50 pounds, and maybe more. If someone goes into a store and says, hey, that unit, that's $500 or $600, I like that. I see that it's got all the properties that I need to make me well or to keep me well or to give me relief. I want that. How much is it? Well, it's $500. That's good. I'll take it. Then he tries to pick up the unit and it weighs 55 pounds. How is he going to get it home? Mm -hmm. So there's a problem uh, with, uh, with these units that has to be overcome in some other way. The retailer has to want or be able to uh, send it to the customer. Now, uh, that involves some customers, especially in big box stores. In big box stores, it's you go in, you pay for it, you take it home. So there's a problem. So retail stores generally don't like to sell these type of units, generally. Now, you can buy it online from uh, probably 500 to 1,000 dealers that we have. And then it gets sent to you by UPS. So there is no problem that way. But many people still buy it in a retail store. They never find out about the massive amount of carbon that's needed because the storekeeper doesn't keep it in stock and doesn't say, hey, you know, you should really buy something I don't have. <laughs> okay. Sam, what we'd like to do here is um, go to our halftime. We're going to bring Brian McFarland on the line, and then we'll come back to you in, uh, in just a couple minutes. We're also going to bring our uh, technical director in, Dr. Dietrich Wild, to see if he has any questions or comments. So if you can hang on with us for just a minute, we'll be right back. Absolutely. Thank you. Probably do Dieter first because it stay on track maybe. Okay, well let's uh, let's go to the halftime, and before we uh, before we go to our sponsor list, let's bring Dr. Dieter in. Hello, Dieter. Uh, we're going to unmute you. Yeah, hi there. Good. Uh, good. Well, good. What the heck? Good day, Dieter. How are things? Oh, just fine. Good. Um, good interesting. Eh? I mean, I, as you know, I'm very much interested in filtration. And I've been studying that for years and years, I mean, over 35 years. And uh, in fact, I tested one of the first um, 
a HEPA filter is, uh, good God, that must have been 1968 or something like that. You know that story. That doesn't matter. And, and the one question I have, and I think I, I heard it being answered, uh, you buy the unit, which you then put into your house, and you let it run. I don't know what the capacity is or what the flow rate is, maybe 1,000 uh, CFM or something like that. I don't know. And, of course, I mean, this is wonderful if you have a charcoal uh, absorber and a HEPA filter behind it. I mean, that is wonderful. That, that will take care of the problem. A couple of things that, that should be said, and some, some people don't realize that. I said, yeah, maybe I get a good carbon uh, filter, and that will take care of any carbon monoxide uh, problems. Don't do that. Mm. You will be dead. Okay. <laughs> uh, that is one of the chemicals which does not work with, with um, uh, activated charcoal. Right. It would be wonderful if it were so, but it isn't. Um, so I guess, yeah, those are freestanding units uh, uh, that come in the house and what basically probably look like a negative air machine or an air filtration unit, whatever you want to call them. Sure. And um, like I said, that's the, the one question is, uh, does it take care of the whole house? And that will be a problem because there may be areas which are not as well ventilated and filtered than, than other parts of the house, which are a couple of feet or you know, 10, 20 feet away from it. Okay. Well, why don't we uh, ask Sam that when we come back from doing our sponsors and our, our little break here at halftime. Okay. Thank you, Dieter. Uh, yeah, okay. Brian. Let's first uh, thank our sponsors, Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years at legends-enviro.com. Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dry East Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry East is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. And John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at johndon.com. Okay, let's go to Brian McFarland of Legends Environmental Insurance Services for part two of the seven sins of buying insurance. Hello, Brian. Hello, Brian. Do we... Great, great. Good to have you back. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm start off by congratulating you guys there on the... Uh... 100th episode last week. It's uh, quite an achievement. Well, thank you, sir. Yeah, but our age, our total age is 109 years. We figured <laughs> that out last week. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to tell who's who yeah, either. Who's right. what? All right, Brian, what's part two this week? Uh, as you said, Joe, earlier, uh, what we're doing is covering the, the seven sins of buying insurance. And uh, uh, this week we're going to. Uh, cover, you know, selecting the wrong carrier as the second send of buying insurance. Uh, last week, uh, we, we talked about selecting the, the wrong or, or how to select the right agent for your business. Uh, and this week, uh, we're really talking about, you know, how you should work with that agent to make sure that you uh, have a carrier that understands your business and specializes in your type of business. Uh, you know, not all carriers 
do understand the environmental business or environmental consultant or contractor business. Uh, in fact, don't. Uh, within the United States, there are probably mm, seven or maybe ten, up to ten carriers that include some regional players uh, that, that understand or fully understand the environmental marketplace. And a few of those carriers uh, are looking for bigger contractors and consultants. Uh, so that really limits the playing field. Uh, for example, like a, a state farm or an all-state or uh, one of what I would call a main street carrier that has offices up and down the street, they might select to write a environmental consultant uh, business, but not understanding their business will, will probably leave gaps in coverage uh, for that company. Uh, the other thing that we need to consider is the rating of the carrier. Uh, insurance companies are given a grade, and the way to think about that is the way that uh, you received grades in high school or in college, uh, you know, A, B, C, D, and F. Uh, insurance companies are, are given grades the same way called a financial report by A and B. Uh, and the insurance companies with less than an A rating can, can really be a potential problem for two reasons. Uh, one, there's certainly a risk of the company going out of business. Uh, and if you work for uh, a government, a big contractor, a county, or a city uh, as a subcontractor, uh, typically there's requirements that are going to require that you're insured with an A-rated carrier. So being insured with a carrier that is not A-rated certainly limits the potential business that you could go after. Now, oftentimes, the carriers that are less than A-rated may be a little bit cheaper uh or less expensive as far as premium goes, uh, but it certainly limits uh, the work that you can provide or the contracts that you can pursue, uh, and also increases the risk of that carrier not being there when you need them. Uh, as a service, you know, we, we stay on top of the ratings of carriers, and if any of your listeners aren't sure what their, their carrier is rated, uh, they could give me a call, and uh, I'm happy to go over that with them. Um, so, so really the, the lesson here is to make sure that you're working with a, a, an agent who understands the carriers that specialize in your business and the, to ask questions about that carrier so that you're both comfortable with it. Cliff has a question. Yeah, no, not really a question. I've, I've got a comment. Uh, Brian, we've been in business for 35 years. Uh, guess how many times during that period of time I've had an insurance company fail on me? How many times? Three. Wow. Uh, the, the first one was a program that we were in, you know, through a trade association, which was offshore. Uh, second one was Reliance Insurance in around 2000, and most recently uh, AIG. So uh, I think you gave some really important advice today. Yeah, and, and you look at someone like AIG, Cliff, who is the largest insurance carrier in the nation. Right. Um, now, in, in the world, actually, um, as far as assets go. And if they can fail, certainly anybody can. Now, the thing about AIG is, that, you know, they're broken up into, into different divisions. And their environmental division is relatively small, but it's extremely profitable, profitable for right. them as a company. Right. So AIG is an environmental company or an environmental insurance company. It's still a very good you know, place to put your business. Right. The, the downside of AIG is... 
that they're only looking for larger contractors or consultants because the minimum premiums are so high that it probably wouldn't be the preferred market for 99% of your listeners uh, anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, just this year we've seen two insurance carriers jump out of the market, uh, uh, one of them uh, being Hudson. Uh, and the other one, I think, is still uh, ha- hasn't informed their uh, insured, so I won't mention their name. But uh, Hudson jumped out of the market because they weren't making money. And now everyone who was insured with that carrier is now scrambling for coverage, or at least their agents are. Uh, but, uh, you know, quite a few of us saw that coming, and, uh, uh, you know, if it, and we could have predicted that and hopefully prevented that solution or that problem for, for our customers. Okay. All right. Well, Brian, thanks for part two. We'll see you in uh, two weeks for part three. And uh, if you don't mind, if you're available, stick around for the roundup if you have any questions. Absolutely. I think we should probably go to Dieter's question uh, to Sam. Sam, what size uh, area would your typical residential unit handle in terms of either square feet or cubic feet? While you were asking me that question, I got unmuted and I didn't hear the entire question. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, just Dieter's question: What si- if you took your standard residential unit? Uh, yeah. What size area would that handle in terms of either square feet or cubic feet? Okay, uh, it's best to use a unit for a room. Okay. Uh, although some units claim or can do up to 1,500 feet. Uh, you know, you have to have a one big open room of 1,500 feet. I see. So an average size home bedroom could be a, a child's bedroom of 100 square feet or a master bedroom of, 100, of 200 or even 250 square feet. So the standard unit that we have will do that and more. All right. All right. Well, let's go to uh, – go ahead. I'm sorry, Sam. Sorry, go ahead. The standard unit that we advise people to buy will do anything from a child's room right up to a master bedroom of 200 to 250 feet and more very easily. Okay. What is a photocatalytic UV light, Sam? And do you, some of your units use that process? Uh, yes, they do. Uh, although we've been doing quite a bit of uh, research on that uh, photocatalytic, we do sell some. Uh, we include it with uh, when someone wants it and is willing to buy it uh, with some known effective uh, workings as well. Photocatalytic is made of titanium dioxide. Titanium dioxide is also used in white paint. And white, this titanium dioxide, in order to uh, do its job, but then be activated by light. Sunlight is good, but UV light is the most efficient. Mm-hmm. There's a story of a church in Rome that wanted a very shiny exterior. And when they discovered, when they used it, they discovered that within a meter or so of the walls, of the outside walls of the church, there was no viruses or bacteria. Mm-hmm. So it works, but it's useful its production or usage efficiency has not yet been fully developed. I see. As I mentioned, we do use the technology when combined with some of our other proven carbon and HEPA technologies. How do you 
How do you test the um, the ability of the carbon to absorb some of these chemicals, Sam? And how do you know when? I guess you have to change this carbon from time to time. How do you know when to change it, and how do you know when it's uh, you know uh, whether it's working or not? Okay, it's actually very easy. With a HEPA filter in a home, we know that we have to change it anywhere from two to four years. That's a known fact, the benchmark. With carbon, it's a little different because it depends on how much odor and chemicals are involved. If somebody uh, calls and tells us that uh, they have a printing plant and there's a terrible stench in the place, I ask how big the place is, I ask how many employees there are, how much uh, spare space there is, how much space is taken up by the furniture and the machinery, the equipment, and then I can calculate how much carbon they need, and now I still can't tell when they have to change it, because over the phone they can't tell me how bad the stench is, and they can't tell me how much more of that material is embedded now in the walls, in their flooring, or in their ceiling tiles, because Sometimes it keeps coming off for a couple of years, sometimes only a couple of months, and sometimes in our own home uh, it dissipated in about five to six years. Wow. So it's always different in different places. So how do we know to change it? It gives off a smell of its own, and you'll be able to tell, hey, that's the smell that Sam talked about. <laughs> it's time to change the carpet. After that, if it's bought by a homeowner, he knows, well, I, I didn't get the feeling for a couple of years. So he knows that, you know, it might be a good time to change it anyway, because when carbon is fresh, it sucks up those chemicals. It's like that type of thing. It really sucks them up. But as time goes by, with every passing day or month, it gets less and less effective. After two years, change the carbon. Mm -hmm. After four years, change the HEPA filter unless that smell comes through quicker than that. I see. Okay. And and how do you, do you do some kind of testing in, in your lab there to see if the, um, you know, the carbon is capturing the chemicals? Is this done prior to sending them out, or are you just comfortable knowing they will capture it? Well, you know that there are, as I mentioned, 4,000 chemicals in gases approximately, so it's an impossible task to test for all of them. However, since we've been in business uh, 14 years approximately, I guess, when we send out a unit for a specific uh, chemical, we know from our chemists that have been researched that that particular carbon, whether it's a pure carbon or whether it's a carbon that has been impregnated with another material to make it even more effective, has worked every time it's been used. If it isn't working, I mean, this thing, these things could happen, it's because they didn't read the MCS, MFC, the, uh, the sheet. Material safety data, data sheet. Material safety data. Material safety data sheet, MSDS sheet. I have so many initials at the tip of my head with so many organizations and so many sheets, MSDS sheets. They haven't read it properly to us, or they didn't read the right one to us. Now, usually we get them to send it to us. They either can fax it to us, send it to us, read it to us, 
and if it's a something very uh, serious, we ask them, would that be, uh, you can tell me what it is, but you must fax it to us. We must confirm that that's exactly what you have in, the, in, in your place. For a home, it's not as important. Because for a home, if they don't tell me that it's a chemical odor, then they need, use, or if they don't tell me to have MCS, uh, then they generally need a general purpose unit because it's a catch-all for many, many different chemicals. And the particles, of course, take it, whether it's in a home or in an office. <laughs> Sam, is there a difference between an air cleaner and an air purifier? Different fields or different types of people. Medical doctors could call it one thing. Uh, scientists can call it something else, uh, and uh, con uh, environmental specialists can call it something else. So whether it's an air purifier, an air cleaner, or a scrubber, it's all the same. Okay. Sam, um, I'd like you to answer this question two different ways. Uh, the first part is what facts about air cleaners are least understood by the public? And then I'd like to know what facts about these units are least understood by indoor environmental professionals? So first by the ordinary person, the layman, and by professionals. Right. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, we get our information, a uh, professional gets his information possibly in a school or possibly self-taught, mm -hmm. and the layman gets his information from the popular media, or his doctor has told him, and since doctors don't read uh, popular, too much popular media, media uh, they're told by their doctor, go out and get a good HEPA filtered unit. That's all that a doctor will tell people. Every case that I've visited doctors to show them, tell them, explain about our unit so they can advise their people about it, it comes out that they didn't know anything about carbon. They didn't know about chemical problems. All they knew about what they read in the popular media, and the popular media is always about HEPA filtration. So that's all they tell their people about. And as I mentioned before, if you go into a retail store, it's not profitable for the retailer to handle something with massive amounts of carbon, so he doesn't have it. So there's actually no place for anyone to get this information except, except if he has a real problem, goes on the internet and he looks it up and he finds out, my God, maybe the real problem is the chemical and gas. Mm -hmm. And if he looks further on the internet, he'll find thousands of places where he can buy a unit and discern from the, uh, from the website that, hey, here's a company or there is a company that has a lot of different units with a lot of carbon. Not only a lot of carbon, but a lot of different carbon. Not only a lot of different carbons, but one inch, two inch, three inch. Maybe I need a four. Maybe I need a 32 inch carbon. And yes, some people are specialists with one of them. Mm -hmm. Now, professionals, until about two years ago when I attended uh, exhibitions and spoke with environmental specialists, they weren't willing to listen too much. Uh, they said that their job was to advise their clients that they had a problem. That was their only job. And tell their clients to go out and get a, a purifier. 
I started warning these professionals or giving them advice. I, I, it's not my job to warn them, but in, in, in all respect, it was a warning that at some point they would start suffering from litigation. Because when you tell a client, go out and get a good air purifier, so he goes online or he calls a friend of his who might be in the business or who knows someone who's in the business, and he says, send me one of your best air purifiers. There's no way that that specialist can get it right, that that client got the right purifier. Mm -hmm. So about two years ago, I noticed a very big change. Like it was almost instantaneous. Uh, one day I was going to shows and nobody wanted to listen to me, and the next show I went to, everybody wanted to hear about me. Mm -hmm. So they must have read something or something came up. I, some cases came up where they started understanding that, hey, it's not good enough to just tell people to get a medication. The doctor also tells you which medication to use. It doesn't just say go out and get medicine. And that's why uh, the professionals now uh, are starting to offer advice as to which units to buy. And we have, I, I'm sure we have a thousand, uh, more than a thousand uh, professional environmental specialists that uh, advise people what kind of units to buy. Either they ask us and we tell them for that specific need, or they tell the customer, just buy uh, an, an 8,000 model. Or they tell the client, please just get in touch with this company and they'll tell you what's best for you. So yes, it's been changed in the last two years, I'd say. Sam, does your firm have any independent test data to support uh, the, you know, the company claims that you make in your advertising? Well, you have to remember that uh, almost all units have been tested by TSA and UL. It's, uh, it's not uh, by law that they have to be tested, but pretty much everyone wants to know that they have a safe unit. So, yes, our units have been tested by CSA and UL, but we also have testimonials from, again, from thousands and listen, the Mayo Clinic advises their patients to buy our unit. Mm -hmm. uh, the armed forces, uh, we, we sent to, just recently we sent three medical units to the armed forces in Iraq. So uh, I think that the uh, testimonials are one of the best, better things than testing. However, the Army, the U.S. Army tested units about three years ago, and we came up at the top rung not only of safety, but of effectiveness as well. Yeah, that test report was actually called Test Report System Effectiveness Test of Home Commercial Portable Room Air Cleaners. Uh, no, not that one. Not that one? Well, that I one. don't know about that one. Well, you did well on that one, too, because I found it. Wait a moment, guys. <laughs> I should get a copy of that. What is it called? It's <laughs> called Test Report System okay. Effectiveness Test of home slash commercial portable room air cleaners. We'll, we'll send you a, a, an email on that one, Sam. Yes, I'd really like that. And um, I hope that they tested our units in comparison with similar units. Uh, because in the Army test, they tested, I think, 20 units or something. We only came up number two. We didn't come up number one because the criteria they told us to use was not what number one used. He used a much higher, 
a bigger size human. Right. Interesting. Sam, there, obviously there is no such thing as a, a perfect product. You know, where would the use of your product not be indicated? If you have carbon monoxide in your home, don't try to use our unit. Don't even try to use anybody else's unit because I don't know of anything, any material that will absorb uh, carbon monoxide. Okay. It's also uh, not to be used with nox with um, NO2, laughing gas. Uh, it absorbs it, but in very small amounts. Okay. Radon. It oh. can be used with radon, but sparingly. Almost anything else that anyone can throw at us, we can get them a carbon to use for it. And even radon, if someone has less, when they test, they know they have radon, if they have less than three picuaries of radon that's a measuring device, they can use carbon. If they have more than three picuaries, it's too much for carbon, and then they have to get an exhaust system, which is not, a, not that expensive. When I say not a, it's a thousand $2,000 Sam, if carbon is so effective in absorbing uh, bad stuff and, and bad gases, can it also absorb good gases like, you know, oxygen that we need to breathe? I, I don't get that question very often, but no, it is not that effective against oxygen. And even if it were, even if if it were, you know, our air breathing air is made up of about 19 to 20 percent of oxygen. 21, right? 21. That's in that range, and uh, it's so ubiquitous. There's so much of it out there that if you were to use it up in one particular area or one particular room, it would generally come in very quickly from other areas mm -hmm. or even from the outside. Okay. So no, there is. I've never come across or never read in the literature where someone became deficient in oxygen because of an air purifier. There is no such thing. All right, Sam, what we'd like to do here, if you, can you stick around for a few more minutes? Listen, I'm enjoying myself. Okay. Great. I'll stick around as long as you want. Great. Thank we're going to run over a little bit here, but we're going to go to what we call the roundup. We've got a, a guest... Uh, uh, a couple of questions from listeners and also uh, okay. from some of our, our technical experts, etc. Hang on Great. one minute. Before we go to the roundup, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years at legends-enviro.com. Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. 
Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their products and their services. All right, let's go down the list here. It looks like we got Mark uh, Mark Stern from NAL East. Let's bring him on first, then we'll bring Glenn on, and uh, we'll go down to Dieter. Hello, Mark. Hi, guys. I uh, just want to say it's a pleasure to listen to such a great show and, and people that are so knowledgeable with their subject. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Any questions? Thank you very much. Um, no, not really any questions. I was just glad to be able to listen and come on in today and, and hear what you guys had to say. The, the one question that I do have, and this is uh, not my field, and I've had questions asked by uh, clients, is there, like, fosters, for instance, is that better than any one substance or no? Like a microban and... Okay, I, I don't understand. You mean better in what way? That, well, is is there anything that's better uh, for mold cleanup? Oh, okay, okay. Well, that would be. I think we're gonna have to get that one on another show. Yeah, I think uh, we'll, do, we'll definitely go into that on. We we'll definitely do that. But I was I was thinking as far as the um, the off gassing, and I really don't know the answer to that. I don't know if Sam does or not. Are there any paints uh, or coating products, Sam, that are more problematic than others that you're aware of? Well, we specialize in removing the problem. We don't specialize in getting at the problem itself. So if you have a mold problem, you might call on a contractor to actually get at the, at the mold itself because mold will continuously replicate itself unless the source is removed. The wetness, the dampness, the uh, dark area behind the wall, that must be mitigated. If you don't mitigate it, it will continue to come out at you. However, what we do do is we have uh, units which will mitigate the odor and the smell and the spores. Okay, so it, it captures the VOCs, I guess, that come off of the uh, mold or come from it the mold. It captures, it's called the mycotoxin that comes off the spores. Very few people know about it. That's the dangerous part. The spore is not the dangerous part. The mycotoxin the chemical that it comes off from the uh, from the toxic uh, spore itself is the danger. All right. So then, how do I get how do I get more information on your product? Because I am interested in that. Fine, just call or just look us up on the internet. Uh, Aller Air, that's spelled A L L E R A I R Industries. Just uh, it's for allergy air, allergy and air. But just take off the G and the Y. So you have Aller Air Industries. Uh, dot com. Our phone number, if you would like it, can Please. I give the phone number? It's 888-852-8247. That's 888-852-8247. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. And let's go to Glenn Fellman. Uh, he should be down below. There we go. Glenn, I know you had a question. Hello, guys. How are you today? Good, Good thanks. Good to hear from you. Great show. It's Thanks. good to hear from you, Sam. I'm an old friend I've known for a long time. Sam, I've got a question for you. Uh, earlier this year, in fact, just I think about a month ago, uh, the final rule went into place uh, in California, a rule promulgated through the California Air Resources Board 
that will uh, hopefully uh, remove uh, air cleaning devices that uh, put a lot of ozone into the environment uh, from the marketplace. My question for you is actually a two-part question. Is One, what do you think of that action in California? And two, is there anything similar in Canada? Well, there's nothing similar in Canada, but it's about time that some government, state or federal, put something like that into effect. According to Health Canada and according to uh, the State Department of Health in California, uh, they claim that uh, ozone actually perforates the membranes of the lungs and it uh, causes a process or causes a, a, a status that is actually a, a, pre, a, a precursor to lung cancer. Okay. So it's actually quite a dangerous, and I don't think that the state of California is saying that uh, only units with a small amount of ozone. I think they're going to say no ozone. I think that's what I've read. It's a very, very teeny, tiny, teeny, teeny, teeny amount that's permissible. You're correct. Okay. So there is something that is permissible? Some, some tiny little trace yeah, that has to be tested by a You know time. that if they say that, There'll always be some manufacturer who says, well, ours is below that amount. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some testing requirements in there, too, but uh, that's, it's a first in the United States, Glenn, and yep. thanks, thanks for the question. Did you have anything else you wanted to ask before we roll on? I'll let Dieter take on the next one. Great. Let's go to Dr. Dieter. Hello, Dieter. We've got you unmuted. Yeah, well, I, I learned something again, and um, uh, you know, I always thought in our classes that uh, ozone is not good for you. And um, the, the other thing I have to uh, uh, mention to you guys, don't add my age to your combined age. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, then we need a calculator. <laughs> Dr. Dieter, I don't care how old you are, I know I'm older than you are. Whoa! <laughs> Really? I, th I think Call Sam's got you. Show and we'll discuss ages. <laughs> All right, okay. I buy you a beer if you're older. How about that? I'll come down and see you, and you can buy me <laughs> okay. a beer. Very good. But, um, but no, I think uh, it's it's a couple of things that we uh, touched on: efficiency of HEPA filters, and there is a HEPA type filter, and there is a true HEPA filter, and a true HEPA filter. And Sam mentioned that. That's why they are so expensive. They have to be individually tested. Right. You can't, you, if you make 100 of them, you can't test the first one, then number 50, and then number 100. And I said, hopefully all the other ones in between are uh, good, too. That doesn't work that way. And I'm glad to hear that apparently you have some information on it, that these HEPA-type filters, they may use pretty much the same uh, medium. That's why they work. But they didn't, exp uh, they didn't uh, have to pay for the testing and certification and signing and logging in and all of that. So I, I wasn't sure. I have not tested it, and I have not bought one, uh, uh, one of those HEPA-type filters and looked at them. But apparently you have done so, and it said they're pretty good and probably better then a filter, yeah, like I always say, if you buy a filter and you can read the newspaper through it, it's probably not a good filter. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Dr. Dieter, I'll be glad to, if you call me, I'll be glad to send you a piece of that uh, micro HEPA material. You yeah. do all the testing you need. Oh, well, I'm not going to do those testings anyway. I take your word for it. All right. <laughs> but, uh, but like I said, yeah, yeah, one, one eight thick uh, filter. I have one of those in my uh, 
over my stove. What is that called? The the uh, the van the, uh, yeah, the van hood coming out here cooking actually. Yeah. And I haven't changed that one in 30 years, but mainly because I don't cook a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, then the restaurants are making a lot of money with you. <laughs> yeah, right. I know which or one, you too. you have to get a good wife to do the cooking. <laughs> well, Dieter, thanks for joining us again this week. Were there any other questions you had? Uh, pleasure. No, not really. Have you mentioned this one thing, and I, I'm, still, I'm still not, I don't know what is going on. And it was mentioned with these multiple chemical sensitivities. I'm pretty sure that a lot of people who have asthma or something like this obviously will react, uh, will react to a variety of chemicals. And like I always say, if somebody has asthma, clean, cold air can trigger an asthma attack. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, obviously, if you have a good uh, HIPAA system and a good um, charcoal system, well, most of those chemicals will be uh, absorbed, and they, they, are, they are gone, with the exception of carbon monoxide. We mentioned that, and I mentioned that earlier. You've got to be careful with that. Yes. All right. You also have to remember that even if you get rid of it, there might be continuous off-gassing, so it doesn't work like in uh, right. the first hour or first month even. Yeah, like you said, sometimes... Sometimes the stuff is around for a week, sometimes it's around for a month, and sometimes it's around for a year. Right. And there's also a danger that uh, the chemical or gas is disguised as something else. That people think, oh, I can't, I, I like that smell, and it's a fragrance. Yeah. Sometimes that's a problem. Oh, sure. Carpets, people don't understand that when carpets are brand new, <laughs> they give up an inordinate amount of formaldehyde, and they keep on off-gassing for at least five years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The old, the, they, the, the Carpet Institute has worked on that. I know. I heard about it. And they, are, they, they have more stable uh, binders now and, and, and so on. But uh, uh, still, uh, that, that was and perhaps still is a problem here or there. Then there's also dry cleaning. You bring home yep. dry cleaning. And you don't air it out outside, you yeah. have a problem. And yeah, one of the problems we have in the Pittsburgh area, and I always said that, when do we change carpets? When the family comes over? When is that in Pittsburgh? Well, it's uh, everywhere. But in the Pittsburgh area, it's also during Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas and New Year's. Well, that's... <laughs> what, what, what happens to the windows and doors? <laughs> That's right. You should change the carpets in May and June, leave the doors open and have a fan going. That's but right. Oh, you change them for, uh, in November and December and you button up everything. Well, that's when the problem starts. Yeah. There's also the problem even with furniture, new furniture. Oh, sure, yes. With wallpaper, it's always glued onto the walls and the glue has its own problems. Yeah, that's so that's why I use white paint and I use oak to make my furniture. <laughs> That's great. I just put in oak floors in my condo. Box. Wonderful. Well, yeah. Gentlemen, Wonderful. Be before we go, we've got to ask one more question. Uh, Sam, is there anything that we forgot to ask that, that you'd like to add? Well, uh, one thing I would like to ask is why I'm so excited about having clean air or talking about clean air. Uh, you know, I have notes on my desk about what I wanted to talk about, but uh, there's so many notes here. Uh, I, I've talked only about 5% or less about clean air. 
I'd like to talk about the dangers of poor air that are not well known. I'd like to talk about the health benefits of knowing what you should do. 10,000 people a year die in Canada alone. That prop, that uh, turns itself into uh, 300,000 people a year die in the U.S. every year from the effects of air pollution. And that's from people that we know. That's facts that we know about. But, you know, uh, seniors go into a hospital sometimes and they contract pneumonia and the doctor writes down pneumonia, cause of death. Sometimes it wasn't pneumonia. Sometimes it was moles that got them. Moles got into their lungs, worked in the garden, or have something from the garden come into the house. Moles got into them, and fluid started reacting with the mold to uh, try to get rid of the mold. And then the doctor looks at the dead patient and says, pneumonia. Well, what we'll have to do is have to, we'll have to just bring you back and talk a little bit more down the road, Sam. Great. All uh, right. Anytime you like. I really enjoyed myself. Well, and thank I'm you. glad to give your people so much information. It's thank you. It's been great to have you. I want to thank this week's guest, Sam Teitelbaum, a president of Aller Air Industries. Of course, Brian McFarland of Legends Environmental Insurance Services for our halftime segment. I want to thank uh, Dr. Dietrich Weil, of course, for joining us again this week, our technical director. And uh, also want to let listeners know that next week we're going to have Steve Tobirin, uh, John Don's director of training on, with a program called Strategies for Success. But before we go, I want to make sure we thank the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. It's always a pleasure, uh, The Chad. wingman at the controls, Chris Boisel. And most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners. Please come back and join us again next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production. 